0: Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way. This episode is another Roundtable on the Way, a more in-depth feature to explore things a little further than we can squeeze into the usual 15 minutes. For this installment, we are celebrating the Viatorian legacy at a parish we founded, St. Thomas More Catholic Community in Henderson, Nevada. As the regional population grew around Las Vegas, residents in the Green Valley area of Henderson saw a need to start a new parish in their area. Early gatherings started in 1984 and were held in a preschool and later a mortuary chapel. In 1986, the Diocese of Las Vegas established St. Thomas More Catholic Community, with Viatorian priest Father Tom Long CSV as its first pastor. The parish first built a multi-purpose center, where they then celebrated Mass for several years, until their church was completed and dedicated in 1996. Several Viatorians have served as pastors and associate pastors, and many lay parishioners have become Viatorian associates. In 2019, the Viatorians handed administration of the parish to the Diocese of Las Vegas, concluding 33 years of leadership there. Today we seek to celebrate the origins, ministry, and community life of this Viatorian-founded parish, and honor the good work that continues today. I'm Pre-Associate Dan Masterton from Vocation Ministry and it's my pleasure to produce this episode for you. Today's conversation starts with founding pastor Father Tom Long. After Tom, you'll hear from Associate Julianne Dwyer, a longtime parishioner, faithful parish minister, and continuing volunteer, followed by Brother John Eustis, CSV, who was a parishioner with his family during his teen and young adult years growing up in Henderson. Enjoy!
1: How did the need for St. Thomas More Catholic community arise? What are what are kind of the origins of this parish becoming a need in the area for Catholics? So maybe you can start that story, Father Tom, and we can go from there with some of your recollections. Okay. Started.
2: Yeah, we were uh, talk, going back to the early 80s. Las Vegas was growing uh, very rapidly. There was a small settlement in, in Green Valley, and they said it was going to grow. The bishop at the time, McFarlane, he was talking with Ken Morris, who was provincial at the time, and he says, uh, do, "Do you know uh, any priests?" Because he uh, he realized the parish had to start, and none of his uh, because of the priest shortage in Las Vegas, he couldn't find a diocesan priest to start the parish. So he uh, he asked Ken Morris, uh, "Do you know anybody in, among the viatorians who might be willing?" So. I got a call from Ken, that says, uh, Tom, can you come out? I was at St. Viters in Chicago at the time. Says, so, Tom, can, can you come out uh, here to uh, Arlington Heights? If there's something you wanna, uh, I want to talk with you about. Well, of course, my question is, what is it? What did I do now? What am I in trouble for? It's not my fault, you know, <laughs> all of that. And then I, I met with uh, him and Pat Render, and they said, you know, they needed a, a new parish out there would I be interested in going out there and uh, it was a challenge uh, I was interested and they said well fly out there and see what you think so I flew out there and I met with Caesar Cavilla who was the pastor of St. Peter's in Henderson at the time he drove uh, out and he said at that time it was raw desert out there I was going out I think it's a Lake Bean Boulevard on the far south and we couldn't get it. it was and he says over there on wigwam uh, is where st thomas uh, More is going to be and at first you look at it and say, yeah sure where that now it's all you know so heavily populated then it was just nothing there at that time well they originally had started a small group uh, uh, again a, a group of lay people got together and went to caesar and said look we need a parish out here and uh, so there were, they originally started a meeting in a, a, a preschool. Uh, Caesar would take one Sunday. Tom McCarthy would take the uh, second Sunday. And then when I went out there, saw it with uh, Caesar, and then I flew up to Reno. I interviewed with Bishop McFarlane, and uh, he said, you know, uh, you know I was welcome into the diocese. I went back and I talked with Ken Moore, said, yes, I'd like to go out there. So they you went through all the paperwork of being formally appointed and all that. My first Sunday out there, we, we began to meet at Palm Mortuary. And there we started out with 34 families. And the nine years I was there, ended up with 1,300. And now I think it's over 6,000 and the parish has split off from there. So it's uh, unbelievable. So it's kind of like, I kind of see as far as, you know, the Viatorians, there was a need there in the diocese. We went in, we filled the need, If we had to leave uh, St. Thomas. Obviously, you know, having been the privilege, having had the privilege, or, be, or still had the privilege of being the founding pastor, it was sad, but, you know, circumstances were such there was no other choice on there. But uh, is it was the gratitude that we were able to go in there, stamp the Viatorian charism, and then the time and then to move on.
1: Maybe it'd be good now too, to talk about how each of you first came to St. Thomas More and talk about your starting point in joining this community. We can kind of build the story from there from each of you too.
3: We moved here, uh, my family and I moved here in 1986. And well, we went to St. Viters. And one weekend, Father Tom came and talked at St. Viters about this parish that's started in green valley and i was passing palm mortuary every single sunday to go to saint fighters and i said wonderful so we just joined and we went to palm mortuary and the beautiful thing about palm mortuary was all of the flowers that were outside of the graves my kids were young then steve was in, was in uh kindergarten first grade and he said where did all those flowers come i said well god put them here for all of you to enjoy and every sunday we used to have donuts out on the carport at Palm Mortuary and um, community kept growing and growing and we went from one mass to two masses on Sunday and uh, Palm Mortuary was very accommodating to the needs of us. My son received his first communion at Palm Mortuary and um, that was that was different (laughs) but um, I know a lot of people uh, would not come to St. Thomas More because of the sacraments because they didn't want to receive in a community center, they didn't want to receive a palm mortuary, so they stayed at St. Bider until we opened up the church. First experience that my son Stephen had, he became an altar server, and the first time he went back to Best Up, unfortunately, there was a body back there. He came back out white as a ghost, and <laughs> and I said, well, we are at a mortuary, <laughs> This could happen, but um, it, it was a great experience because I think we all got to know each other. We started ministries in that. We had the offices over by FLM, and we used to have reconciliation over there and um, just meetings and trainings for uh, Eucharistic ministers in that. And it was a small community, and I think people really loved that. When we moved into the community center, I was like, wow, look at all this space we have. And you didn't have to set up every week and tear down every week. It was it was great. We moved into the building yeah. in nineteen eighty eight, mm-hmm.
2: and at that time, it was a, it was just kind of a lonely little building out there in the desert. Whenever you'd fly into McCarran, I would look out, and there would be that building. It was on an angle, uh, and there'd be raw desert around it. Yeah, it was It had kind of pioneering spirit uh, around there. It was also at that time. Not only was St. Thomas More starting, but you know a number of Protestant churches were starting at a time—Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans. The pastor, especially of the Lutheran Church, Phil Hauskirk and I, you know, we worked together, and were they met, I believe, at a preschool, and we met at Palm, and we needed office space during the uh, during the week, so we uh, we together shared the rent or an office space in uh, one of the office buildings, office complexes there. And there's Green Valley Ecumenical Center. And it is, this is all part of the, uh, of moving out, of, at least for St. Thomas, of me moving out of St. Peter's and devoting full-time in, in energy to St. Thomas More.
3: The interesting part was um, all the roads leading to St. Thomas More building that we built were all dirt roads and the parking lot was dirt. and. I, I always remember everybody saying, I just had to get new tires this week <laughs> because of all of the construction and everything around, but um, we made it. We made it and uh, we had some great parishioners that um, put flowers out. And it was amazing because after we moved into this building, I would think it was a couple months and everybody said, we've outgrown it already. We, we <laughs> need more space.
2: Yeah.
1: So that's how you and your family came here. Mm-hmm. What about
4: you, Brother John, and your family? So yeah, in 1990, my family and I moved from LaSalle, Illinois, out here to Southern Nevada, mainly because of jobs. Dad couldn't find a work because he had issues with his back, herniated discs and everything, and just the job market was terrible. So he and Mom decided to make the move, and uh, they both ended up working for the Clark County School District as teachers but we moved here in August of that year, and uh, we were waiting for our house to be finished. So we were staying in, in an apartment building, which we might identify as not the best part of town. Um, the, the next building over from us, the, we were well aware that the uh, there was gangs that, uh, that lived there. So anyway, one of the first activities or one of the very first things that we did is we wanted to find out where were we going to go to church. In Henderson, there was a, in the Green Valley area, there's St. Thomas More. So I think it was in the old days when you used to have phone books. They looked it up and and uh, dialed the number. And there was a, a message from the pastor, who now I know is uh, Father Tom Long but he was describing, here's the address. And so we had to listen to it a few times because it was on an answering machine. And we said, okay, well, today is Saturday. Tomorrow, we're going to go to the Sunday Mass. Let's kind of do a dry run and figure out where this church is. I think we drove around for about 45 minutes or an hour. First of all, trying <laughs> to find a wigwam. And we got going back and forth and back and forth, trying to look, look for this road called Pecos. And finally... It was, do you suppose it's that dirt path right there? It looks like there might be a building out there. And so we did. And sure enough, there was this this building out maybe a thousand feet out in the middle of the desert. So we found the parish, finally. Uh, So the next day, we went to it. Um, So I was in seventh grade at the time. And uh, a lot of my classmates were were also there. And that's where I met Julianne, where we met. Father Tom and uh, our family immediately got involved. Um, My dad became a catechist Mm -hmm. for religious ed. And Julianne was talking about how moving into this new building was wonderful and so spacious and things didn't have to get set up or torn down. By 1990, things had to be set up and torn down often. Uh, I remember after the mass, Mm -hmm. uh, we'd come down, move all the chairs, set up cubicles for religious education to happen that week. And then reverse it again.
3: And then in the center, we left chairs and the altar to have morning mass. Okay. And uh, I could always remember um, the worst part was trying not to get the carpet dirty yes. and no juice, nothing red. Yeah. And it was it was it was really hard. It was you know because we would um, we'd have three sessions of of classes on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and Tuesday night. At eight o'clock we would be taking all the petitions down putting them away setting it up for morning mass again and setting up yeah. the reconciliation room because that was a classroom and people were we were using classrooms the kitchen was a classroom the nursery was a classroom so every space we had we we used for a classroom yeah,
4: and i think at that time there were something like maybe 400 kids yeah. in, in mm-hmm. uh, religious education Another thing yeah. that was kind of a neat uh, connection for us, us being from Illinois, um, all of a sudden there's a priest from Illinois. We're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And well, we we knew that Tom was a Viatorian. We knew there was a Saint Viator, and some of our really good friends from uh, the La Salle Peru area in Illinois, one of them had gone to Alaman High School, oh. and. She said, Oh, I had Viatorians as teachers. We we're like, no kidding. And so it was a kind of an interesting connection on our side. Two of our worlds kind of came together. Little did I know I would end up joining the Viatorians, but I did.
2: <laughs> yeah. And as a side note, I taught at all in high school. So oh,
4: wow. <gasps>
2: we all
0: find uh, each other in
1: church. There's nowhere to hide. All the connections just come back together over and over and over again. So you talked some of the things about the mortuary and the preschool and the multipurpose. What are some of the other growing pains or some of the interesting quirks and twists and turns as you grew into the space and started to need the church to come along?
4: I remember Mm -hmm. announcements at uh, religious ed classes that would be at night. It's like, do not wander past the parking lot uh, because it's desert out there and oh i also remember right. the stations of the cross uh-huh. being on piles of dirt <laughs> just these sticks that were uh, on the tops uh-huh. of the piles of dirt
3: and we had the rcia program here and the adults would be baptized so we had this horse trough. and for the easter vigil it was set up and it it, we had plants all around it and everything. It looked nice, but it was still a horse- <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. I will never forget Father Tom would get in with the people to be baptized and and baptize them, and it was so moving um, to see Father Tom getting in there exactly with them and that. But um, we would set up the space, and everybody would be able to see everything that was going on. So um, that was that was a good part about it.
2: And, and the skirting around it, it was from a plant from Milwaukee, which I says Milwaukee had that, uh, where there were steps going in, in there, you climbed up steps, and there were steps going down into the horse trough. And at first, you know, it sounds kind of wild, but it was, it, like I say, it was a very moving ceremony uh, on Holy Saturday night, because we would have the fire, blessing the fire outside in the desert. It was small, community was small enough that we could process in and go through. Also, during the Easter season, the, the uh, horse trough would be there in the middle there, and the chairs would be around it. And when we had baptisms, it was the dunking of the infants. Yeah, again, it was the uh, birth to new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or, or, or my associate, Barbara Bigelow, she's since passed away uh the diocese had a uh, uh a program liturgy training program with uh, John Gallen, but she she would be the one that would do a lot of the grunt work in this and uh she enjoyed it but the joke was i mean she was that uh, you know what's the difference between a liturgist and a, a terrorist you can negotiate with a terrorist yeah. and yeah. uh you know but she she enjoyed that and even though she knew it was true <laughs>
4: I remember being part of that setup, uh, the whole family would come in, all right, we need to hang things like uh, material from the ceiling, Mm -hmm. or need to adjust the lights, or uh, various things like that, and then during the Easter season, I remember my dad seeing the horse trough right in the middle of the church going, okay, the gurgling of the water is very distracting, but uh, (laughs) because there was a little pump cycling the water and everything, and we came from a church that had been built in the 1840s, so uh, the liturgical styles were a little bit different, but... It was, it was a great way of, of pulling people in together.
3: You know, it's funny because I'll never forget a conversation that I had years later. Somebody came to St. Thomas More and they said, well, yeah, I remember coming here and leaving because it was really strange. They had this big, like a bathtub was in the middle of the assembly. And this can't be a Catholic church, she said. Then they just left. And then they realized later on when the when the church was built in that, that this was all part of the community about growing pains. And we did what we had to do to mm-hmm. to get all the sacraments done.
4: But even outside of the liturgical stuff that happened here, even though the main space was that, it, it was really, a, it was actually interesting to have the main gathering space for Mass, but it's also where education Mm happened. it's also where community happened outside of the liturgical experience and there was something about it that that was unifying among a lot of us and a lot of my friends from that i was making in uh, school would be Mm -hmm. there too and out of that evolved the uh, youth ministry or the youth group originally
3: the the high school was more youth at that time Mm -hmm. and we did a lot of interesting excursions in that um we did one time we did a scavenger hunt and we used our cars and the, that's when we could drive people and we didn't have as many regulations with the the diocese and we would have to go to different places and take pictures. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Take pictures at all the different places and then the first person back here won. And the one time I borrowed somebody's car, a van, I should say, because I had eighth grader, I had all eighth graders because Ken allowed them to come on this journey with the high school kids and uh we didn't get back because I parked the car at the Mirage. I'll never forget this. And and he said, I said, can I just leave it here? Will we go take a picture? And he said, No problem, just leave the keys in there. Came back and it was gone. And nobody knew where it was. Well, 45 oh. minutes, it showed up. And it was like when I gave the car back, the van back to the person, they said, well, there's a lot more miles on here than I was like, oh my god, they must have took it for a joyride. <laughs> but that was my first experience of doing a scavenger hunt in a car. We did, we did a lot of great things.
4: Th- things we learned.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs>
3: then I wonder why the diocese made all these rules. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so then, what
0: was
1: it like to put the pieces together to start building the church finally after all these years of creativity and multi-purpose use? You know what was it like to get the land and the plans and the money and all the efforts together to get a church built? And
2: well, the land was donated by the Collins brothers. They're they're generous. I think they're Catholic, but then also they were one of the main developers in that area. And you know when people you know want to move or you know, judge an area, they always look at the schools and churches. They knew they needed a Catholic church there. Bishop McFarland. He uh, what he wanted from the founding pastors, and there was a number of parishes being started at the time, he wanted a, a master plan and also a, a building community center. And as we were talking about, you know, built a community center. Now, he didn't want the community center to be too big because he wanted it to be, as Julianne mentioned, it's already filled, uh, it's get, starting to get crowded in here. He wanted people to kind of feel uncomfortable to realize it needed as far as to building a church so the uh and the, and the pattern was the community center uh which was multi-purpose as we've been talking about and then once you, you get enough uh, people there to begin a capital campaign to build a church when, while meeting it in the mortuary we built up uh as far as reserve uh financial reserve also uh in the diocese they had a uh, development director, Dan Healy, who, was, who knew what he was doing as far as with capital campaigns. And he, he, he looked at a financial situation. Okay, now you have enough money in the bank. Uh, you have a large enough uh, population to raise enough money. And then you take a loan from the diocese. It's basically uh, one-third, one-third, one-third. You'd get an estimate of the building, and then you'd have one-third in the reserves, one-third uh, pledge for the capital campaign, then one-third alone from the diocese. But then also while the pledges were coming in, the diocese would also uh, would loan you that money. But you had to watch those numbers very, very carefully. See, when, when McFarland came in, the diocese previously had been bankrupt uh, under Bishop Green. And he, he came in with an iron hand. And you always knew when you went to say, "I appreciate it, because there was no nothing uh, underhanded with him. You knew right up front. he always asked you two questions: Is it legal, and can you pay for it?" <laughs> and if you answered yes to both questions, you were free. He may not agree with you. If there's no to either one, forget it. And especially with the uh, with the building, he would go over those numbers, and, you know, it, it worked out. And then we also we went as far as for architect, we went with well it's a subsidiary of Marnell Marnell uh, he built quite a few of the, the, of the casinos. He had children at, at Gorman High School, he, he, he and they had what they call design build an architect will put up a, a plan and then, uh, then you find a contractor to build it, this is all in one package
1: what was it like for you as parishioners to have the church start to come together and get built have a place
3: to worship and gather was it it, it was it was wonderful you know when that church opened, when the church opened and our population of the church just tripled of people coming and registering and wanting to be at St. Thomas more and we still only had this multi-purpose room over here for religious education so it was quite interesting because the offices were still in this building but we had the church the the main thing was to get the offices built and then the chapel built and that happened quite quickly you know uh, people were very generous and they paid off the church and then we went and did the other parts and that and um, every time something was built, like the offices and they moved out of this building and we had more room for religious education. For a uh, little bit. For okay. a little bit. <laughs> we still we still had to divide the space up and be creative with all the areas um, until I think it was uh, the 2000s when we built onto this building and we added all of the, the meeting and classrooms, uh, which was a blessing but you know after a while we we kind of grew out of this building we had like 1800 students in religious education and that was kindergarten through confirmation so every single Mm -hmm. room was used and we also had all of these different ministries at night that would like to use the buildings and that so we grew we grew fast we grew fast at one point when the church was built we had modulus outside um
4: Temporary classrooms. Temporary classrooms. <laughs> so
3: that we ended up putting four offices in there, and there was a main middle main space that we ended up having classrooms and meetings in there also. So we used all the space, all the space.
4: Looking back on that, the dedication for finding, even if it's in the kitchen or in a corner closet, space for young people to learn the faith. Uh, how viatorian is that? As a, a junior high uh, student, you know, we would come every week, um, and then throughout high school, I wasn't so involved in the in youth ministry at the time because Scouts was was my uh, my way of connecting with other young people. However, my my uh, Eagle Scout ceremony happened right here in this building too. But I can remember the excitement around. Okay, yeah, we're busting at the seams here. Everything, even in the public schools, you're busting at the mm-hmm. seams. Uh, it was just. Uh, the growth here has been incredible but here as the idea of moving towards uh, building a brand new church again like i said the one i i grew up in was very old so wow you're at the front end of building a new faith community and it wasn't just the pastor and the pastor's staff who was doing it it was the whole community that was involved in it i remember there Uh, At parish picnics being raffles uh, for a car or whatever, Mm -hmm. a variety of fundraisers that were there. I remember, and this I believe was after, uh, Tom, after you had had left being pastor and Dan Nolan came in. Uh, I think that all of this was happening all around the same time there was an artist's rendition of what the interior of the church looked like, and each person could buy one little piece of that puzzle, and it wouldn't be revealed what the church looked like completely until everybody had a, a piece of that. So, <laughs> so you write your family name on the back of it, or, and then it, it gets put up. Or like.
3: in, memory of, mm-hmm. put in memory of it, and it was $100 for each little piece, and the money that was collected from that ended up paying for the pews. You
1: know, so
4: yeah, I mean, and then I remember I got, that our family yeah. didn't have a whole lot of money, but my yeah. mom said, well, we're going to participate in this art. We're going to, one of those pews is going to be yeah. for us or something and like that. We
3: still have that rendition down in the community center, down one of the holes on the wall.
2: I think, you know, as John mentioned uh, about, you know, with the lay involvement uh, there, that's, well, we talk about that as far as the, the and charism, but that was very much all the way from the beginning. As mentioned earlier, it was a group of lay people that petitioned to begin the parish. And when I came here, they already had a, a religious ed program. They had a building committee. I believe a, litur- a liturgy committee. You know, there already is, and uh, it began in the beginning, continued through my time, and then on uh, on through the others. Uh, Dan Nolan, Pat Render, uh, McEgan, and, and whatever. And to, to, I presume to to this day.
1: So we have a community center, we have a church, and over time, especially as Viatorian Association begins, we start to have a few Viatorian vocations of different kinds. So I don't know which of you would uh, tee off on that, but we have a few Viatorians who came from Thomas More and some who still continue here. How did we get end up with Viatorian vocations
4: out of this community? I guess I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was in my younger, uh, in my adolescent years. Here, it wasn't so much. Oh, I think I want to be a, a brother or a priest. That didn't really enter into into my mind. But it was also the at the same time that there was St. Thomas More going on. There was also St. Viator Parish and Bishop Gorman High School mm-hmm. where Viatorians served. And during college, uh, I lived at home, so I continued to come here to St. Thomas More but I was also connected with the Newman Center at UNLV. And three of my closest friends were were there at the Newman Center who went to Bishop Gorman High School and became very familiar with the Viatorians and Campus Ministry and the Kairos Program and, and all of those things. And I was a little bit in, intrigued by that. I mean, I went to public school, so I didn't have the experiences that they did. And uh, one of these friends was Pauline Villapondo, who was the very first I think full-time youth minister or maybe second I can't remember S-
3: second because Ken was still uh, Ken was yeah, youth minister yeah. but then he was a she was his assistant and then she became the right youth.
4: so right out of college she was hired as youth minister here and uh, she dragged all of her friends which included me into helping out with youth ministry specifically life team and it was that again Pauline she, uh, her confirmation catechist was my dad. So I mean, the, the circles run so tight here. But she invited us into helping out this Viatorian ministry that she was now running. And, and so we did. And I think there was a combination of living in a Viatorian parish and working with somebody who had a Viatorian education in high school that opened something up. And it didn't open it up in me originally, but it was through Pauline who, uh, when the vocation director of the Viatorians at that time, Brother Corey Brost, do you know anybody who might be interested in becoming a brother or priest? Uh, She said, yeah, here's John's number. I know I've mentioned this on another podcast Mm -hmm. before, but there was a connection between what was happening in Viatorian ministries, not just in one location, but how it affected young people in the whole whole diocese.
3: And Father Dan Bellinger also was a parishioner here at St. Thomas More. And uh, as John taught religious education here under me, and so did Brother, um, Father uh, Dan Bellinger taught religious education. And um, he came connected with uh, Father Jim Crilly, and he took him under his wing and that. And then the next thing you know, he was going off uh, to check out the Viatorians, which... That was, now, what,
4: about uh, five, six years before I did it? Yes, think.
3: yeah.
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about association? How did you get involved with that?
3: Well, you know what? I always felt, you know, I worked here since 1993. And it was like, okay, I'm part of the bioturian community here. This is run by bioturians and that. And one day, uh, Brother John Eustace said to me, why aren't you an associate? And I said, because I've never been asked. And he said, well, I'm asking you. So at that point, (laughs) I wrote my letter uh, to um, Father Jim Crilly. in fact, um, in the beginning, because he was in charge of the associates out here or having the Western Region meetings out here. And I wrote my letter stating that I would like to be part of the bioturian community and be an associate. And um, it was a different kind of Program back then for associates, it wasn't a two-year program. It was a just a year program, and you went to all the meetings and that. And I and I did that. Um, and the next thing I knew, I became a vituring associate, and uh, with along with a number of other young people, younger people that uh, Brother John had invited to come along. Rosie Hearts and Paul Hearts and Kim Martinez, and we all um, took our our first commitment together, so it was it was really neat, and I was glad to be part of the biotarian uh, community, and not just um, a person that said I'm a biotarian associate, but actually going to meetings and participating, and going to the assemblies and that, and and joining in with BYC and that, and so I was I was glad my son Stephen ended up being the director of life team here with his wife. And uh, there was times that he could not go to VYC. And he would say, well, you know, as a DRE, you could take them. And I was, I was glad to do that. And I loved it. And after that, I, I well, you could stay here. I'll go next year, <laughs> you know, so.
1: I think two of our our deacon, who is now serving at St. Vitor Catholic Community, but who originally became an associate, as part of this parish, and then has kind of blazed the trail for being a deacon and a viatorian,
2: Mike Underwood.
3: Mike Underwood. I don't know if people know his whole story, but it was Father Father Mike Kelleher. Um, Deacon Mike had come here to pray one day, and the church was closed, and he asked if he could go in and pray, and Father Mike opened up the church and let him go in and pray, and from that, he ended up having a relationship with the Viatorians and becoming a member here and going through our CIA um, to become a Catholic. Um, So it was because of how the Viatorians are so open and accepting of people coming that Father Mike opened the church. And if he didn't do that, we don't know what would have happened.
4: And uh, Deacon Mike Underwood, as he did that, uh, one of the catechists there, her name was Kathy. She ended up becoming Kathy Underwood. Uh And uh, then both of them become associates. And
3: and one of the new pre-associates learned a lot from Father Mike Kelleher. That when I asked, she asked me, um, how do you become an associate? This was last year at that time. And I said, well, you're in the right year because I'll give you the paperwork and you just fill it out. (laughs) So even though the Viatorians are not here at St. Thomas More, the presence of the Viatorians, the spirituality of the Viatorians, that charisma that we have still lives on here and embraces people that they would want to become an associate. So this year, we have two pre-associates that have come from St. Thomas More.
4: Well, it's not so much that the the Viatorians are here. Right. uh, The Viatorians are not the prime leader of this space, but you're here. Cheryl Schwartz is here. Dan
3: Schwartz. Jim and Marie May.
4: Kai Guerrero. Liatorians have not left. No. Carries it on. Yeah. So that's that's
1: kind of my, my last big question is, you know, from Tom Long all the way through these other pastors and associate pastors and new associate commitments, and ongoing commitments, we did give this parish over to the Diocese of Las Vegas, and now it is theirs to administer. What was that process like? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's bittersweet. It challenges your emotions, but... It also comes with the recognition that, you know, the the human power behind what the Viatorian community can administer is limited, and we have to discern that, too. So what was that process like to transfer it over and know that it would still live on, but just kind of in a different way?
3: It was very hard. When Father McEgan became provincial, there really wasn't anyone that stepped up to become the pastor here, and we had asked if Father Dan Nolan would come back and be the pastor and he did for a while but his health stepped in which led him to leave and um, it was a difficult year and we we all knew that something was going to happen either we were going to get a viatorian pastor or we were going to be given back to the diocese and we all did a lot of praying we we came together and prayed and prayed and prayed it wasn't in the cards for the viatorian professed to stay at saint thomas more and the day that Father Dan Hall came to tell us that it was a very uh, sad day. I I could probably stop crying again because uh, that's the minute he said it, you know, I just shut down and uh, it was hard. It was hard on all of us. And yeah, it still is hard, you know, because um, mm-hmm. it's a difference between the Viatorians and the diocesan priest.
2: Yeah. I remember I was at the chapter when that issue came up. It was a, Somewhat of a surprise. I knew it was coming, because like you know, when Dan couldn't uh, serve, you know, something had to give. And I remember speaking at the meeting, say, you know, I, I'm sad about this, but uh, the facts and all their brutality were there. Also, you know, I think one of the comforts I had is, is, you know, a fundamental belief here is the Paschal Mystery, you know, death and rising. Okay, there's going to be the death of the Viatorian clergy presence there. But, you know, the rising is, you know, there's a, a spirituality, the association, the spirit lives on and, uh, you know, will continue to grow to however it, it can happen, even though it's inevitable. I realize, you know, you can't go back. But I have to admit, whenever I'd go out to Las Vegas or whatever, and I drive down Paco Road, it says, I know that place on you know? <laughs> 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 there or uh, the times I'd walk in and see my picture, which had a full head of hair that was brown, and of course the joke was that I went there with a full head of brown hair, and I left with a full head of gray
4: hair. (laughs) 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 Tom, I can remember uh, sitting next to you at that chapter meeting when the decision had to be made, and just feeling like, kind of looking back, going, okay, this is the place where I encountered for the first time in my life that ministry was going to be something of my life. And uh, through the Life Teen Program, through walking with teens and, and uh, helping them to have a, a deeper connection with Christ. And uh, so that was running through my mind. My mother's a member of this parish. Every time I come back, I have tons of friends here and everything. But I, I can remember... Uh, I don't remember exactly who said it, but the, the concept was there of what a grace that we were able to help build something, and we are not able to provide the leadership that is needed to make it continue. And so we have to be, maybe it's uh, on the professed side, this is somewhat of our vow of poverty of we don't have what it takes to do this, and we need to hand it on. And the the community is still just very vibrant. And, you know, my mother's here, too. So That's She's right. a force to be dealt with. So I had no doubt that uh, <laughs> that uh, it would be okay. Yeah. The
3: other thing is, yeah. um, Father Edmund, uh, our new parochial administrator, is very open to the viatorians coming and helping out here. Father McEgan has come and done mass a couple Sundays, uh, and Father Tom Long, uh, Father Tom Benburn has come, and he's done uh, morning mass in that. And so it's comforting when they come back. The parishioners are all excited to see the Viatorians in that. So Father um, Pat was here in that. So it, he, did, he came and did a funeral here. And
2: uh, One time I took a course on death and dying. And one thing I remember uh, from that, that, that there are times when the most loving thing you can do is to say goodbye yeah this is obviously with somebody that you're very close to uh, and as near death. But that was kind of like almost the way as far as with uh, St. Thomas More. As John mentioned, we had to realize we could not provide the leadership that the parish needed anymore. And so, you know, we in that area, we simply had to say goodbye. but i I do think that one of the things that perhaps I think in all is the collaboration as far as with the uh, laity, because, I can remember when I was pastor dealing with John's parents, and you know how you know <laughs> we would communicate back and forth as equals uh, on there, and where it was not you know uh, whatever father says or anything like that. But I mean, we'd go back and forth as as equals. And um, in fact, I John, I, I came across that. You remember that picture I showed you at my going away reception of May uh, oh, yeah. with your parents. On there. Yeah, I very was going 90s, to be very, uh, <laughs> yeah, very 90s looking exactly very 90s looking and uh you know kind of like empowering and like you say you know John as John says which I frankly she is a force to be reckoned with <laughs> <gasps> oh. so maybe
1: kind of a one last question to think about there are multiple instances of the viatorian community Giving up the administration of institutions that we've started that we've handed on to new leadership, but you know, we still have a spirit in, or we still have associates working in, or that we still have some kind of relationship with. And we even have associates or even some professed members who don't live in an area where there are many viatorians, but they continue to be a part of the community in a different way. And one of the questions that'll be asked over and over again over the coming years is what does it mean to be viatorian if you're not, you know, living and working in a place where there's a large number of Viatorians or an official sponsorship. So I wonder if you have any comments about what it's like to be a part of a community with such strong Viatorian roots and legacy, but kind of a different present and future to live out.
3: I think, you know, being here at St. Thomas More and being around associates. um, So we have that companionship. We we, we have a common bond in the charism of the Viatorians. And that I, I feel like if you've moved away from here, and you're not with it, but you still have that spirituality of the Viatorians. You still, I've grown with the Viatorians in that. So I would take that anywhere that I, I went. I, I don't think that would die, you know, and I hope that would be for anybody that moved away from the community and wasn't in touch with the Viatorians day to day.
4: And I think a, a perfect example of it is this last weekend where we were at the Diocese of Las Vegas conference. And uh, we set up the the vocation table for the Viatorians. There was just this fervor around the table at different times Mm -hmm. with different people from different institutions, whether they're employed at Bishop Gorman High School or at Crystal Ray St. Viator or St. Viator Parish or St. Thomas More or anywhere in between. And all of them came. And I think that's I think that's a theme that's running through here, too, and part of the theme that got me to become a viatorian. This charism is not contained within one address.
3: That's
4: right. This charism infects in a good way. Uh, <laughs> it infects uh, a, a region. It, it, it brings about a certain energy that's just very attractive. Yeah.
3: It helps us to bring it to people. You know, otherwise, I think we wouldn't have pre-associates from St. Thomas More, new pre-associates from St. Thomas More coming in if they didn't see the see how we are as YHWH associates and that charism. So I think anywhere we go, we're going to bring that with us.
1: I was amazed at the Diocesan Conference, too, that especially seeing Brother Rob come back after a few years now mm-hmm. back in Illinois, He's talking to a woman whose sibling is a Viatorian associate, but who he has a relationship with kind of in a second degree and has gotten to know and knows her family and her story. And she's not even working, living, or part of a Viatorian institution. She's just kind of in that next circle out, but nonetheless is involved and associated and is building and connecting relationships even from that point of view. So there is that kind of ripple effect that the vitality of the members kind of bring into all the parts of this diocese.
4: And Tom for a little while you had been um you'd been working in non uh, viatorian sponsored uh ministries. So what was that like Yeah after a way of
1: after years of being a pastor in an official viatorian parish you then go on to serve people who are kind of little importance in a different setting where there aren't other viatorians.
2: You know, and in many ways I see that as uh in a reflection of Father he would send people out to different places when i was there immigration ministry or whatever i was there as a viatorian and i knew that i had the community behind me like say for example with the interfaith community for detained immigrants when we go say to the jails i would be the only viatorian there but everybody knew i was one and i knew that the community was behind me on that too you know, such things as being able to give me the car and the gas to travel to these places. Or, or when I go down to Kankakee, offer me hospitality, because uh, I'd be down at the at the center at 630 in the morning. Even though, you know, not physically next to uh, Viatorians all the time, there is, I think, as Julianne mentioned, you know, the, the companionship that comes at, at times, and it's good. And in many ways, it's intense, if you want to use that word, or meaningful and which gives nourishment to go back out
4: i just find it amazing my 12 year old self's pastor is now a person i can call my brother (laughs) too and i do call him my brother because yeah yeah yeah.
2: and likewise yeah and you know that is um you know as far as the you know vitrine tradition back in, in the old days when they had uh you know, the priest, you know, just the priest and the brothers, uh, they did, we did strive to have, you know, an equal footing. Uh, we failed at times, but, but that is at least part of our history. And I think it's, it's really coming to fruition now in that uh, you know, I think we all uh, mingle, you know, priests, brothers, uh, associates as equals. And the main question is, what's the subject at hand? And each one contributes what uh, he or she thinks.
3: And that's something which which re- is remarkable about the Viatorians because each voice is heard, depending on if, if they're associated associate versus a professed. Um, everybody's voice is heard.
2: Mm-hmm. Or, and I know John, you probably you've heard this before, but I was on part of the coordinating committee. Uh, I was coordinating co- committee, which is like a board of governors for the Eighth Day Center for Justice. It was a coalition of religious uh, and social justice and the uh, office uh, director there, she's a BVM. She said she dealt with a number of uh, men's communities where in a sense it's kind of an anomaly. Our name is Clerics of St. Viator, yet we, in her experience, we're the least clerical of the group.
1: Which I think we would take as a compliment. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) It, It was meant as that too.
4: Tom, as, as a founding pastor, as you're looking back at it, could you, when you look at St. Thomas more, what, like, what comes to mind now with what you see?
2: I went there as a young man. I'm past 80 now, and I feel almost like a grandfather. And the fact that I had a role in nurturing that parish, uh, I'll be grateful for for the rest of my life as I look back now, it's almost like, you know, when a parent has a child, the child grows and flourishes on his or her own, and and then becomes a parent, you become a grandparent, and whatever. I kind of have somewhat of analogous feeling of that, that, you know, I helped uh, to grow that parish in my own way, and then it was time for me after nine years to pass it on. Well, I don't know
3: if you ever remember the one homily you did uh, when we were in the community center very early on and we were raising money, you had gone to the mall, the Boulevard mall uh, in the afternoon. And that evening you at mass turned around and said, you know, I bought a Mrs. Fields cookie today and it costs me a dollar. And some people don't even put a dollar in the collection. I will never forget that part of the homily because you you never really spoke about money. You, and that was the first time like I heard you say something about money. And it was a great analogy, though, that we'll go to the mall and buy a cookie for a dollar, but we won't put anything in the collection. And also, you were great about um, encouraging people to come out of their comfort zone. Like even with myself, um, you encouraged me to go to uh, Arizona, Scottsdale, and go to a a uh, Rite of Christian Initiation Conference there. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's what I wanna do. Just go and try it out, you know. I don't know if you remember that, but, and I did, and I fell in love with the RCIA. Uh.
4: <laughs> uh, right before we started this meeting, uh, Julianne, you invited us into the room where a bunch of noise was happening. And uh, it was, it, it, I think this is a synopsis for me is the, the Viatorian mission is very much alive and well here. Because there was an intergenerational and intercultural grouping of people, maybe about 20, 25 Mm -hmm. people in there, probably from about age 14 all the way to whatever. (laughs) Uh, And they were preparing and practicing for the first life night. And one of the associates is in there, Kai Guerrero. And I mean, this is what this place is about. This is what Viatorians are about. And it's ministering. And people are smiling and, I call this place home. I really do. And I think I can Uh see it through them that this is their home too. And they Mm -hmm. immediately asked
1: if you could stay and help. Yes. (laughs) That truly tells you you're home. Yes.
0: That's all for this installment of Round Tables on the Way. We offer our prayers of gratitude for the many Viatorians who have served this community of faith, the lay associates from St. Thomas More who continue to give witness to the Viatorian community, and the many faithful parishioners who animate the community life. We pray for God's continued blessings on the St. Thomas More community and the Diocese of Las Vegas. You can learn more about this community at their website, stmlv.org. Viatorian Voices Conversations on the Way is a production of Viatorian Vocation Ministry. The Viatorians are professed brothers and priests, together with women and men lay associates, who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel, and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. In the footsteps of Venerable Louis Curbs and under the patronage of St. Vider, we strive to do everything well so that through us Jesus may be adored and loved. To learn more about our community, visit viatorians.com or follow us on social media at viatorianusa. Those seeking support and accompaniment in exploring God's invitation for them are invited to reach out to Vocation Ministry. Send us a DM on social media or email vocations at Viatorians.com to start a conversation. On behalf of Brother John and the Viatorian community, I'm Pre Associate Dan Masterton. Venerable Louis Kerbs, inspire us. St. Bider, pray for us. Adored and loved be Jesus.
2: The, the valley you know as you know it slopes down to lake mead and then it goes back up and one time i was out in vegas uh, visiting jim curly we went to dinner to that mesa up there and looked out all these lights i said you just can't uh, unbelievable what, it, what has happened out there yeah
3: it's it's grown it's grown we don't have that dirt parking lot anymore nope
1: you as <laughs> <laughs>